This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Reading Your Scary Stories. I have a nice handful of them tonight, all submitted through the email Mr. Davis reads at gmail.com. So if you have one that's a bit longer and you want to share it privately, maybe tell me you want to change a name or just submit it anonymously, that's the best way to do it. Just submit it to the email that will be on screen right now and for the entirety of the video. Also, I want to point you to the right of your screen if you're on desktop. If you're on mobile, I believe it'll be below the video. Um, I'm currently running a fundraiser for the NAACP which, of course, is the mission of National Association for the Advancement of Colored People to ensure the political, education, social, and economic quality, equality of rights of all persons and to eliminate racial hatred and racial discrimination. With everything that's going on lately, um, the George Floyd case and numerous other cases before his, uh, I felt it's finally time for me to stop being silent and to stand up for the whole Black Lives Matter movement. Because, let's be honest, black lives do matter. If you would like to donate to them and support them, then absolutely just click that little blue donate button. As of recording this, we've raised 530 bucks, which is incredible. So thank you to everyone who has supported so far, and um, thank you to everyone who is thinking about supporting now. With that said, we are going to jump right into uh, the stories for tonight. Our first one, which comes from Kylie. She writes in and says this. It all began in 2004. My fiancé Kenny, now husband, and I had been staying with his oldest brother Gary and his wife at the time named Angie in their excruciatingly small spare bedroom of their apartment located in the Sugar House suburb of SLC, Utah. They managed a long-stay hotel-slash-apartment complex living on site and were both kind enough to put us up for a few weeks while we got ourselves reestablished, just having both started new jobs after being out of state. I tell this part of the story for two reasons. The first being, we did not experience anything while staying with my in-laws, supernatural or otherwise eerie with them, and second, being so closely affiliated with the management side of the place allowed us to learn the actual history of the place and the ability to explore it. Sugar House Village Inn, as it was known back then, was all very charming, with one of the largest city parks directly across the street. A collection of old brick buildings, each with a few or more apartments carved into them, including the main house, which held the manager's front office and living quarters. All had been bought, sold, and revamped many times over the decades, but they began as quarterhouses for the Utah Territorial Prison Guards. Utah hadn't gained its statehood when the prison was erected in 1854. The quarters were built across the dirt road on the north perimeter of the prison wall. That road now serves as 2100 South in SLC, and the land where the prison stood now houses the aforementioned city park in Highland High School, whose school colors are affectionately black and white, an obvious nod to the inmates' striped prison attire. 
original hardwood floors, arched doorways, subway tile countertops, and antique brass doorknobs. Need I say more? So, when the one-bedroom apartment on the west side of the main building became available, within a few weeks of staying with my in-laws, we jumped at the chance to move in. The first day of moving, Kenny had to work, but I didn't, so I went about gathering up what I could and walking it to the steps to the new place. The entrance door opened up to a small living room corner on the right and directly left of the arched doorway beside the smaller kitchen, which led into a tiny hallway opening where the bathroom was on the left, behind the kitchen, and a closet directly across the hall on the right with the bedroom at the end. One of my favorite features were the doorknobs. As I said, antique brass, and the kind that required turning until it clicked to open and close, the doors making very distinct metal clink in doing so. As Kenny made his way off to work, I made my way into our new place with the inaugural box full of stuff in tow. I entered, my determination evident in my brisk pace as I headed into the direction of my new bedroom. But once I had set foot into that tiny hallway, the closet door on the right opened before me, but not before the unmistakable sound of the doorknob turning, clicking, and unlatching from the inside. It then stopped abruptly as if someone or something had graciously opened the door for me as my hands were full. And after all, boxes of things belong in closets, do they not? I was so caught off guard I just froze mid-step and stood there for a moment holding the box. I then gently set the box on the floor where I stood, turned around, and got the hell out of there. I told Angie what happened and she laughed at me. I told Kenny and he laughed at me. I didn't return until later that evening with Kenny after he returned from work. Maybe I was being a little silly. The place was old after all, well over a hundred years, and who knows what things we might share. Vents, ducts, pipes, etc. in addition to the old plaster and lath walls. I shook it off and we settled in. It didn't take long, however, for the oddities to continue, such as hearing the closet or bathroom doors clicking open and close by themselves at all hours of the night, when Kenny and I were both nestled together in our bed, and the lights turned on and off via metal pole chain, and explicitly being pulled on or off. All the little quirky things I honestly can't remember half of now became such commonplace that it didn't freak us out after a while. For example, the peculiar happening that would occur never fail every time Kenny and I would both leave the apartment leaving it empty, then upon one or both of us returning, every kitchen cupboard would be wide open. And not like someone had pulled them wide open with two hands as far as they would go, all of which had latching hardware on the inside, I might add. Kenny and I became so unfazed by this occurrence that it got to the point it barely registered on our radar when we'd come home and I'd gotten into the habit of mindlessly closing them immediately upon my entrance into the apartment. We never really felt there was a negative presence or entity. I used to joke it was probably the spirit of a prison guard just trying to do its job, or maybe we were bothering him in his house, sort of talk. Most everything that he did was harmless and even endearing. We lived there for about two years, and the near-daily occurrences just became part of our life for those two years. However, there were two instances that still give me the willies to this day. They were the only times I've ever felt, for lack of a better word, scared. On a warm summer day, my nieces had come over to play with my stepson, who was also there for the summer. A couple of the resident kids had found their way over as well, and a bunch of them were running amok all day in and out of the apartment, being loud and having fun. 
At one point, my niece Amber, the oldest and tallest of the group, ran in to use the bathroom. I was standing near the front door and just happened to look over in the direction she was going at the moment she walked past the last kitchen cupboard on her way to the hall bathroom. With perfect timing and placement, I saw the end cupboard door fly open to Amber, the corner of which dinged her in the head good and hard. I almost didn't believe my eyes. I consoled her and made sure she was okay playing it off, but I couldn't shank the discord I felt after that. But the most visceral experience I had there happened late one night not long after we first moved in. I was alone in our bed, and I had to be up very early the next day. I wasn't asleep yet, but my eyes were closed and had become perfectly comfortable. I could feel myself becoming heavy with sleep when I heard Kenny calling my name from the living room. I didn't move nor open my eyes. I was laying on my right side with my back toward our open bedroom door. I shouted back a, yeah? Then in the next second, I felt a hot, tickly breath of Kenny whispering very closely into my left ear. I wasn't able to make out what he said to me, but it tickled so much I automatically shooed him away from my ear with my hand before I knew it. I turned to talk to him, but he wasn't there next to the bed. I thought for some reason I just didn't see him step to the side or something like that, but he wasn't in the room at all. Still thinking he must have come in and gone back out Barry Allen style, I begrudgingly got out of bed and went into the living room to see what he wanted. He was sat at the desk watching a movie on the computer with his headphones on, as not to disturb my sleep. I sauntered in and said, What? He looked at me, thoroughly confused. I said, What do you want? You called my name and whispered in my ear. With wide eyes, he replied, No, I didn't. I haven't gotten up out of my chair since the show, and I haven't said anything to anybody either. He was over an hour into the runtime at this point. Needless to say, getting the sleep that night was not easy. Even now, 16 years later, I can feel the breathiness in my ear as I recall that night. The place has since been torn down, and some fancy high-priced condominiums built in its spot. By some sort of coincidence, I happened to drive down 2100 South one day many years later. I hadn't been there in years, and to my surprise, it was in the stages of actively being demolished. I watched the crew at work while I waited for my light to turn green, when a sudden wave of panic came over me. I was overwhelmed with the need to get far away from that area, because, due to the demo, displaced supernaturals might recognize me or sense me if I'd stay too long and follow me home as... Irrational as that sounds. I wasn't going to take any chances and effed right off. I haven't been back there since that day. I don't know if my in-laws ever encountered spirit shenanigans at the Sugar House Village Inn. It never really came up after we moved out of the apartment and Gary and Angie moved on to bigger and better things shortly after we left as well. I do know Kenny and I weren't the only ones though. A few years later, after we moved, I learned that the lady that cleaned the hotel rooms and my mom had the same manicurist, and just by sheer chance, the cleaning lady had shared some of her own spooky experiences with her, and in turn, she shared bits with my mom at some point. Coincidentally, this lady also expressed her concern for roaming wayward spirits due to the inn's demolishment. The other oddity about this place is that almost no photos of it exist in its entirety, at any point in time, not even in my own albums, despite my clear recollection of taking many, many photos around this property. 
I can testify to this because Kenny and I each got one of the first camera phones available right before we moved into the apartment, and I was basically taking photos nonstop that summer because I was making my stepson a scrapbook for his first summer with us. All right, thank you so much, Kylie, for submitting that story. It's an it's incredibly, incredibly interesting. Lots of detail, lots to go over. Um, first of all, if I were in your situation where seemingly paranormal activity, I've kind of lulled over it a little bit trying to think of possibly anything that makes sense as far as like door openings and things like that. But I just can't wrap my head around it, especially um, all the cupboards in the kitchen or the cabinets in the kitchen being open, even though they had a latching system. See, that's strange. That just doesn't happen. You know what I mean? So I can't come up with a reasonable explanation for just about anything that you spoke about in your story. But if I was in that situation, if I moved into a new place and then some fucking ghost was like, hey, uh, I'm going to make your life a living hell. I'd be like, all right, cool. Well, I'm going to leave now. (laughs) I wouldn't have just stayed with it. You know what I mean? Maybe that's me being a big baby. I don't know. Maybe you and your husband are just braver than my wife and I, (laughs) because I'm pretty sure both of us would have uh, booked it out of there the minute that door opened by itself. Um, Also, uh, thank you for the pictures you submitted uh, along with this story. That's really, really interesting stuff. You got the inmates, um, the guard quarters all the way back in 1933, and then a picture of the... uh, in itself I did try to find some type of archived picture of this place like back when it was um, whatever it was before it was this hotel apartment thing that you lived in and I can't find anything either it's kind of kind of crazy Um, I did find like some real estate listings from back in the 90s another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. But that was about it. Um, I can't really find any pictures other than what you sent me. So, um, either way, your story was absolutely just insane, terrifying even, especially that last bit where you, (laughs) you heard your husband call for you and then you heard him whisper in your ear, but it wasn't him. That's so strange. I've had a similar experience living in, uh, my second childhood home uh when I was alone or I'd be like one of the few people in the house I'd hear my mom call my name from the living room when she wasn't home and I don't know if there's some type of ghost that can mimic people's speech like that like I'm talking like pattern cadence tone everything sounds exactly the same like you would not be able to notice a difference unless you were really listening to it but I mean, you're not going to be scrutinizing a voice that you hear all the time, you know? I don't know. 
Um, all in all, terrifying story. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for the awesome pictures. Thanks for the great story. And um, yeah, just thanks. Hope you and your husband are doing great in this crazy, crazy time. Take care. Thanks for submitting. Our next story is submitted by Lily. She writes in and says this. My father grew up in a small town in Jalisco, Mexico. He was the youngest in the family and lived at home, which meant he was responsible for a lot of things at a very young age. He started working on the countryside at the age of 10 and was in charge of harvesting various vegetables for most of the week. He would head out to work on Monday and come back home on Saturday to restock on supplies. He claimed a small tree near some cornfields as his resting area. It was out in the open and honestly terrifying at night. You can see your arms. You can see your hands or arms at night because of how dark it was. Well, that's some backstory to the unnatural event that occurred to him. One night after a long day of working, he decided to settle down for the night and start a small fire near the tree he rested on. A strong wind blew that caused him to wake up. Out of the darkness, a large black dog, like the size of a small bear, jumped on him and tossed him about. No biting, no barking. My dad says that it felt like the dog was trying to carry him in his arms. He was rolling with the dog for quite some time. Keep in mind that my dad was stuck under the dog with his arms crossed in an X formation. The struggle ended with my dad undid his arms. He said he was in the T-pose, like Jesus in the crucifixion, and that's what caused the dog to get off of him. And the dog fled into the cornfield. The strong wind that woke him came back even harder. My dad says he heard the dog fall into the cornfield, but the next day the cornfield was undisturbed. He was so afraid of what had occurred that he went home Friday morning, which, if you remember, he only went down to his home on Saturdays. He went to see his grandfather as soon as he got to town and told him what happened. My great-grandfather explained to my father that the devil lurks in dark places where he can hurt those with nowhere to hide. My dad is now 50 and can still remember the clear events that transpired. I've never really written this story out, but I wanted to share it. It definitely creeped me out when I first heard it, and it is not the only encounter he's had with a black dog. Let me know what you think. I love supernatural stories, especially when they happen to someone you know. Thank you very much for submitting that very, very strange story. <laughs> um, It's definitely weird. I mean... I know, I don't really know a lot about, like, a black dog in, like, Mexican folklore or urban legends or anything like that. So I don't know if that's something that's, like, common. Not necessarily common, but something that's, like, kind of known to believed to be exist, to exist, rather. Um, it is incredibly terrifying to think that just in the middle of the night something even even if it wasn't paranormal you know it's terrifying to think that something just came out of nowhere and attacked him just ugh that's terrifying I hate being outside at night and I I, I just couldn't imagine I guess this was a different time you know 
I couldn't imagine just sleeping outside, <laughs> like, at a tree with a fire. I'm way too nervous and uh, too big of a baby to do something like that. But aside from all that, let's give the benefit of the doubt and say that it was, I don't know, like you said, the devil or whatever. It is, it's it's a strange detail that this thing seemed to have run off almost like it was hurt when he took the position of like, like you said, Jesus during the crucifixion. So maybe that pose specifically kind of triggered something in this being that caused it to maybe feel pain or something of that nature and just kind of, I don't know, just kind of ran off. It's such a strange story. I'm having a really hard time wrapping my head around it, but I suppose that's what makes it a good story. You know, um, thanks so much Lily for submitting that story. I'm glad he's okay. I'm glad he's doing now, doing well now, 50 years old, still young, still kicking it again. Thanks so much for submitting. And, um, I guess keep your eye out for scary black demon dogs. (laughs) Our next story was submitted anonymously. First, I'll give you a little background of where I'm from and family. I was born and raised in a small town, Santa Paula, California, which is in Ventura County, which is in SoCal, a.k.a. the citrus capital of the world. SP is known for its historical buildings and houses. It's super beautiful out here. My mom shared this story when I was in high school, but it was one of those stories that kind of stuck with her. Just a few days ago, she shared it with my husband, and he was legit shook. The house I grew up in was apparently built in the 1890s. I say this because when installation needed to be replaced, my father and brother found newspaper insulation that was imprinted into the walls that disintegrated when replaced. My brother also found those super historic pictures of families that would prop up their deceased loved ones on to take a family picture. So one night, my dad and brothers ended up going to visit some family in a neighboring town, and my mom decided to stay home for the weekend with my sister, aged a year and a half, and myself, only two months at the time. My mom was watching TV in our living room, and had just wrapped me up in my nursing blanket, which is known as a tight roll that keeps the newborn's arms tight to their sides. She last remembers falling asleep on the couch with me on her chest, and my sister knocked out on the couch laying right next to her. She woke up suddenly out of a deep sleep around 2 a.m. to me no longer being on her chest. She jumped up, scared as hell. My sister was sound asleep and the TV was still on. She turned on the lights and panicked, looking around the living room. Next to the living room was the kitchen. The doors were still locked and no visible signs that someone had come into the house. She checked the laundry room by the kitchen and still nothing. I get the chills telling this part, and to this day, my mom seems extremely disturbed to say how she found me. She checked the room me and my sister shared and found me face down, still rolled up in my nursing blanket, with both my arms stretched out in front of me. This is the God's honest truth. She picked me up, scared to see if I was harmed in any way, and said I was completely unharmed and fast asleep. She swears it looked as if I was being dragged across the floor, but thought she interrupted whatever took me to that room. The one thing she can't understand is how she didn't wake up, because she's a super light sleeper. 
She was a nurse and used to working all hours of the night. She tried to make sense of the situation and checked all the rooms and even considered maybe my sister taking me or something, which would be basically impossible. In order for that to happen, my sister would need to climb two steps down to get into the kitchen and then take two steps up to get into the room I was found in. My sister could barely walk at the time, and if she did take me, I would have cried hitting the steps on both sides of the kitchen. Not only that, but she would have to climb up over my mom to get off the couch and climb back in after leaving me in that room. My mom was so scared that night and didn't sleep until the next morning when my dad and brothers returned from visiting family. I asked her if she ever experienced anything paranormal or odd in that house before or after, but nothing was close to that night. She did say that the room I was found in was the only room that had an echo when anyone talked in it, which everyone found strange. I don't remember much from five years and younger living in that house. My mom would tell me that she would be asleep in bed and would wake up to me every night standing by her bedside as a toddler and would let me lay with her. She would always tell me to say something to wake her up, but my presence alone would wake her right away. I did that for years. Me and my sister shared a bed and would at both times wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning like clockwork and go lay with our mom. To this day, we have no idea why. So this person actually submitted two separate stories, but uh, they stated that the other one was unrelated. So I wanted to give my response to each in different forms, I guess. Um, that's terrifying. What is wrong with some of you people and the things that you experience? There's nothing wrong with you. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I, 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 I've never had anything that crazy happen to me. Um, as far as, you know, babies getting up and walking around and going to different places in the house. My brother, when he was like three or four, walked out of the house and got into my uncle's chicken pen, but he was three. He wasn't, how old did you say you were? Two and a half months? I mean, come on. That's impossible. That's what's so scary about it. It, 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 I try to be so rational with these things, but the way you guys present these stories, it's like, I don't know. It's just like it's it's impossible to rationalize how a two-month-old or two-and-a-half-month-old made it into a totally different room in, like, a swaddling blanket. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of what a swaddling blanket is. Like, babies can't fucking move when you got that thing on them. You know what I mean? That's kind of the point. But how you ended up in a different room is completely beyond me. Uh, I'm glad you're okay. Um, as far as getting up every night at 2 a.m. and standing at your mom's bed, that's also weird. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I just don't know. It's Again, I try to rationalize these things, but there's no rational explanation for some of the stories you guys send me. And I can't think of why your body was like, hey, it's 2 a.m. It's time to get up and go stand b beside mom's bed. You know, um, that's never really happened to me either. I mean, I normally wake up like at 10 <laughs> every morning. Like my body's just like, all right, you stupid ass. It's time to get out of bed. But never two in the morning 
I've heard of people waking up at like three in the morning, just inexplicably waking up at three in the morning. Uh, my granddad even has a fear of the number 13. I think it's triskaidekaphobia or something like that. And if he wakes up in the middle of the night and it's like one thirteen or twelve thirteen, you know, uh, he'll sit there and he'll watch the clock until it s- switches over to 14. But I've never had an experience like that. And reading about it just freaks me the hell out. So I guess thanks for that. Thanks for sharing that weird ass story. Um, the only explanation I can come up with is that you are a super mutant baby and you got up and walked into the other room and then laid down because you got tired or something. I don't know. That's the only explanation I can come up with. <laughs> but like I said, uh, this person submitted two stories and this is their second one. When me and my husband first started dating, we would go to late night food runs at Denny's. We had just placed our order and I was sitting facing the entrance at a table near the front of the restaurant. We were wide awake having a chill conversation and out of nowhere, I looked up to see this extremely tall pale man walk in and completely left me speechless. My husband says I froze and made him quickly turn around. I snapped out of it and whispered to my husband, Is it just me or does that man look exactly like Abraham Lincoln? My husband was just as scared as I was. We were both in shock. The man looked dead at me and my husband. The restaurant at the time only had two other customers and the waitress was in the back getting our drinks and food. We felt like we were in the twilight zone because the other two guests were acting like nothing was happening and just eating their food. They didn't even acknowledge him. The waitress walked up to the man and sat him down like nothing. We were waiting to see a reaction from the other three people in the dining area, and it was as if they didn't see him. I can clearly remember seeing creases on his face. His skin was extremely pale and was even wearing a black coat with a semi-top hat. He 100% looked out of place aside from his appearance, and his size stood out. He was at least six foot three, six foot five, very tall and skinny. Picture Abraham Lincoln from the historic paintings and picture him clothes and all, walking into a Denny's in 2008. As soon as he was seated, me and my husband could not believe what we were seeing. Right away, we tried to make sense of it and checked our phones to see if the movie was being filmed in our city. This was in November 2008. We live in Port Hanimi, California, and thought maybe since we were a block away from Port Hanimi Naval Base that a movie was possibly being filmed near the area. Four years later, Lincoln was released, but when we saw the movie, the actor playing Abe did not at all resemble the person we saw. Take in mind, they did an amazing job with the makeup and wardrobe. To this day, I can still picture the fine lines in his face, the facial hair, the cheekbones, the long arms, and the clothes themselves. It was what gets me the most. The material was so distinct and did not resemble any type of clothes seen in the movie. Just the tint, color, and texture of the coat seemed so out of place. We didn't even eat our food and left feeling like we were in the twilight zone. We tried to get another look on the way out and all we saw was the back of his head. His hat was on the seat next to him. I know this sounds crazy, but we don't drink nor do drugs. We have tried to make sense of that night but just can't. Maybe it was just some Abe lookalike, but I wonder what if. To this day, if I mention it to my husband, 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Husband, he genuinely seemed bothered by the whole experience. It might just be nothing, but I have had a few other odd encounters, but I've always tried to make the most logical sense of it all. I guess it's my way of reasoning due to the high strangeness of the experience. Thanks for your time and for allowing me to share my story. Fun fact. Abraham Lincoln believed he had a doppelganger. I actually talked about this in um, an old video uh, about doppelgangers. If I remember, I'll link it, you know, in this video or whatever. But um, yeah, Abraham Lincoln did believe he had a doppelganger at some point in his life. Uh, So maybe possibly you were seeing something like that. Maybe... It was like a residual thing. You know? I don't know. Who knows? More than likely, it was a reenactor, a reenactment person, someone who was dressing as Lincoln to do a reenactment. Um, and maybe he just had really, really good makeup. I don't know. It is definitely strange that someone dressed like Abraham Lincoln would go to a Denny's in the middle of the night. But I mean, Hey, who are we to judge where people eat? You know what I mean? I I, I am leaning more on the idea that it's uh, most likely a reenactment actor actor, or uh, maybe just somebody that just happened to look like Lincoln. I don't know. California is a very strange place. It's very possible Somebody just decided to dress up as Lincoln that day and go to Denny's. You know, California is a strange place filled with a lot of strange and incredible people at the same time. But that would be the most logical explanation. Uh, Either way, thank you, Anonymous, for submitting both of those stories. They were both really interesting and really strange all at the same time. So thanks again. We're going to jump right into the next story. Our next story is submitted by Hannah, and I do need to mention that there is um, talk of sexual assaults in this story. If that's something that triggers you, I will leave a timestamp on screen right now. And if you're listening to the audio only, skip to 4450. I'm a 25-year-old in graduate program to be a child psychologist. Although my graduate studies are not forensically oriented, I had an undergraduate training in forensic psychology, including the behavior of sexual offenders. As a result, I thought I was safe from sex crimes because I understood how sex offenders behaved and operated. But that all changed after a close encounter I had last year. Back in December of 2009, I was walking in the afternoon or evening at my local park, which wasn't unusual for me, except for the fact that I started my walk at 5.30pm instead of 4.30. This wouldn't have been a big deal at any other part of the year, but since it was December, the fact that I had started my walk at 5.30 
meant that it was getting dark around 5.45, and it was completely dark by 6.15ish. Around the start of my walk, however, there was still ample daylight, and there were plenty of people in all parts of the park. The only thing that was odd was this guy who was wearing all black with the hood up, not unusual given that it was December, walking in a T-post position along the sidewalk where I was walking. Judging by his gait, I assumed he was drunk and that he wasn't really aware of his surroundings or my presence. He slumped onto a park bench, and because I assumed he was just another drunk trying to sleep it off, I continued walking. At about 6.20ish, I belatedly realized that it was dark and most of the people in the park had left, so I decided to head back to my car just to be safe. The parking lot where my car was parked was about a quarter mile away and was sandwiched between the park bench with the drunk on the sidewalk on which I was currently walking. Because the area around the park bench is at an incline, I couldn't really see the bench area from where I was walking, but I just assumed the drunk had probably moved on. However, when I was a couple of hundred feet from my car, the drunk suddenly appeared between myself and my car, causing me to freeze. I don't know how, perhaps it was my limbic system lizard brain kicking in, but I instantly knew that if I tried to get in my car, something bad would happen to me. I also knew that even though there were a few people in the park, they were about half a mile from the playground section of the park and probably wouldn't see or hear anything that happened in the parking lot. My best option was to move away from the parking lot without turning my back to the drunk. So I backed away down the path, moving away from the guy quickly enough that he couldn't get close. He didn't follow at first, but when I crossed the road about a hundred or so feet from where I'd frozen still, the guy started moving diagonally across the parking lot toward a group of picnic tables. The picnic table area should have been lit with Christmas lights before sunset, but for some reason it wasn't lit this particular evening even though it was already completely dark. As a result, all I could see of the drunk was a vague outline sitting at the picnic table, smoking what smelled like crack. I used to work in an ER that treated a fair amount of drug abusers. At no point in this encounter did I ever get a clear look at the guy's face, not even when he had been slumped on the park bench. Thankfully, there was a fire station about an eighth of a mile from the picnic tables, so I quickly backpedaled toward the station and knocked on the big garage-style door of the station. Two firemen came out of the station, and I explained that a man had been following me. Inexplicably, the men had seemingly disappeared from the picnic tables in the time it had taken for the firemen to come out, but fortunately for me, the firemen didn't discount my story. One of them drove me over to my car, where the drunk suddenly reappeared about 50 feet away. I'm not a very good descriptive writer, but the sight of him, hood up and washed in the headlights of the fireman's car, was one of the eeriest things I'd ever seen. I knew that if the fireman hadn't been there as I got into my car, the drunk would have tried to grab me. For sake of brevity, not much else happened after that. I called my local police department to report this suspicious man, but the dispatcher's tone was dismissive, and I don't know if the police ever seriously looked for the guy. Thankfully, there haven't been any non-familial abductions in my county since then, but I can't shake the feeling that it's only a matter of time before he tries to abduct another woman. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. But since the area I live in doesn't have much crime other than rampant drug use, police are complacent. They think it could never happen to them, but I think my story is proof that you're much closer to the unthinkable than you might suspect. That's why I've since started walking earlier, no more than 5.30, and having a cell phone on me at all times. Thank you for taking the time to read this, and stay safe. I feel like I should be the one telling you to stay safe, because that is absolutely terrifying.
first of all, I'm glad you're okay. And I'm glad the the firemen didn't discount your story. You know, uh, I mean that late at night, they probably had better things to do than, you know, drive a woman down to her car or whatever. But I'm glad that they were nice enough and believed your story to take you back down to your car and you ended up making it home. Okay. That's, that's the best part of this whole story. Honestly, well, really, there's nothing good about it other than that. <clears throat> it's unfortunate that um, the police seem, like you said, complacent about certain things that go on uh, just because it's mostly drug use. But from what I understand, like I'm not a police officer. I have no background in police or security or anything like that. But from what I understand... Places with rampant drug use are often places with rampant sexual assault uh, and just assault in general. Assault with deadly weapon. Murder is pretty common among those areas, especially among the homeless population, <clears throat> which, who knows, this guy could have been homeless. Maybe that's why uh, he's never been identified, or maybe he's just never popped up again. Who knows? But... At the end of the day, I'm I'm very happy you're okay, and thank you for sharing that story. I'm sure it can't be an easy one to uh, talk about over and over again, but um, it's an important story, you know, not just <clears throat> not just for women, but for men as well, you know. If you're out and about alone, it's always good, even if you're a man or a woman, it doesn't really matter to have a phone with you at all times and to be able to have someone you can call and be like, Hey, uh, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable right now. There's this weird dude. I need you to come pick me up. I need you to walk me to my car, whatever, you know? <clears throat> and it's unfortunate. Like I said, that this dude's never been identified, but like you said, hopefully he's never tried this shit on anyone else. But unfortunately we just don't know. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, Thanks so much for sharing that absolutely terrifying story. I'm happy you're okay. I'm happy you made it home all right. And I'm happy you're here today to tell us that story and um, share an example of why it's important to always be vigilant like you were that night. And um, yeah, thanks again. And stay safe, please. <laughs> And I think that's where we're going to end tonight's episode of reading your scary stories. Thank you to everyone who submitted a story. If you have one of your own that, sorry, if you have one of your own that you would like to submit, you can send it to uh, Mr. Davis reads at gmail.com. All of these were submitted through email. If you do it through email, you have the ability to say, Hey, I'd like to remain anonymous, or um, can you change the names of the people in the story? Things like that. Um, it also helps share private stories. Maybe you want to give me some details that you might not want to release. Just stuff like that. Um, thanks again to everyone who submitted. These were some absolutely terrifying stories from all different sides of the spectrum. Real life terror and paranormal terror kind of go hand in hand in these videos. So thank you for sharing. I had a really fun time tonight reading all these terrifying, terrifying stories. Um, I love doing this and you guys seem to really like it. So if you want, like I said, 
just drop a story to the email or you can drop it in the comment section of this video. I pull from there all the time. If you want to support the channel, you can do so by heading down into the description and clicking the Patreon link, or you can click the join button right underneath the video. All you got to do is pledge $1 a month and you get videos a day or two in advance. If you want to get yourself something and support the channel at the same time, you can check out the Teespring store. We have some shirts and jackets and hoodies and stickers and things like that. All that is in the description down below. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Thanks for submitting your stories. I cannot wait to read more. And as always, stay safe out there and take care of each other.